Welcome to the R&R Experience Podcast. My name is Raquel, not Rachel. And I'm Regina, not Regina. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Tara, full disclosure. She is my sister-in-law. Our husbands are brothers. We did pretty well. We married very well. Right, Tara? <laughs> Especially if they're going to be listening. Yeah, so yeah, they're wonderful husbands, wonderful husbands. We invited Tara to our podcast because her story is the epitome of what we strive for here at R&R. Our mission is to inform, encourage, and engage, and we believe that this episode will do just that. So today we're going to discuss the impact of chronic illness on the individual and family. We will discuss Tara's ups and downs navigating the healthcare system, some of her coping strategies, as well as how she prepared mentally, emotionally. This is a very personal journey, so we do want to thank Tara for sharing her story with us. We are very grateful today. Welcome, Tara. We're glad to have you. So, Tara, can you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, I am officially an empty nester. I have two children that are married and out of the house. I'm at work. I am an operations leader for a consultant training and development team. And outside of work, I like to keep busy with DIY. That's my number one thing I love to do, plus some volunteering when I can squeeze it in, but definitely anything creative. And as you'll hear during the podcast, anything physical. So hiking, biking, kayaking, being outdoors, getting my body moving. Oh, that's why you and Raquel get along so well. <laughs> we're, we're trying to get Regina on a hiking trail. She owes me a hike, right, Regina? Yes. Well, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, Tara, because I think it's been a long journey for you when we talk about chronic illness. How did you know something was not quite right? Did you have symptoms? And what led you to know something wasn't right? Oh, yes. It's a long, long time ago. So it was 2001, actually, that I started having symptoms, neurological symptoms. And it took about a year to get diagnosed. And as we'll lead to later ended up being a misdiagnosis. And I finally got properly diagnosed in 2019. So I spent 10 years with nerve pain, extreme pain in my head. And that's how I ended up in a neurologist because it was lightning bolt pains in the side of my head and in the side of my face that were debilitating. And from there, it was a really long journey of trying to figure out how to heal my body what was really wrong with it. And as we'll talk about later, getting to the real root cause of what all that pain was coming So Tara, what was the initial diagnosis when you were having all these sharp pains? What was the initial diagnosis that they gave you? So it was called trigeminal neuralgia. And if you look in medical journals, it's nicknamed the suicide disease or one of the most painful afflictions known Hmm. to mankind. Because it's basically like being in an electric chair all over and over again in your head and in your face. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, did you suspect this kind of diagnosis? No, I had no idea the ride that I was in for. I was just trying to be a young mom, be a working professional, go back to school, do all the things. And no. It was a total shock. Were you thinking it was something else? Did you have something in your mind like, oh, it's probably this? Or no, no, when you have that kind of pain and you're in that kind of like depths of pain, 
you're not mm-hmm. thinking creatively. You're not thinking about what else this could be. I was taking the lead of my neurologist and experimenting with medication and holistic wasn't even, I don't think it was as prevalent as it is now, holistic treatment in general. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't even on my mind that this was a total wellness situation, that it was really about movement and meditation and all the other things I had to do. I was just looking at how can I medicate and care for my body so that I can get through my day-to-day life and actually live a little bit. Hmm. So you said you went to a neurologist. Did you start with your primary care doctor or did you go straight to a specialist? I started with my primary care and I give them a lot of credit, although it was a misdiagnosis. She at least got me to the right place. Because primary care only had 10, 15 minutes with you. And Mm. she was like, I think it's something neurological and I want to get you to a neurologist. So at least she got me to a place where I could get treatment for my pain. But there wasn't enough time, as we'll probably get to later, to really diagnose root cause. We were totally talking about and treating symptoms. That's all we were doing. Did she prescribe medication at that first visit or was it more just trial and error and let's see what's going on? No, the first year was really a kind of a nightmare trial and error situation. I ended up in the the emergency room in so much pain and trying to find medications that would work for me because we were trying to figure out that whole first year what it was and what was causing the pain and MRIs and all the things. And For those that are listening, that should have been a hint for me that there was really no sign of trigeminal neuralgia besides the symptoms. And that's how I got diagnosed on the symptoms. So there was nothing showing on the MRI. So that Uh should have been a sign to me way back in the day to ask more questions to get second opinion. So what were your coping strategies? You're describing extreme pain. So I can't imagine how did you cope what did you do um, it was it was definitely rough the first few years I can't say at first I had really healthy coping mechanisms I turned to mm-hmm. food I turned to food I ate a lot I, I gained a lot of weight during that time as most people do <laughs> yeah and I stress ate and thought that food was going to help me feel better I didn't properly take care of my body. I tried to self-protect. I tried to sleep and do things like that for self-care. But I really didn't know what was needed for self-care until I fast forwarded until 2010, which was a good nine, 10 years later, is Mm. when I started realizing that I needed to care for my whole self, stress management, the whole thing. But my coping mechanism was definitely faith. I think that faith was probably the only thing that got me through during that time was Mm -hmm. really being reliant on God and surrendering to my situation and remaining hopeful that he was a healer. So during that time, that first year, did you see more than one doctor or was it several different doctors? I just saw a neurologist. Just a neurologist. My only specialist. I felt like he was listening to me and I felt like, I mean, Goodness, I saw him for 18 years. We had a really high trust relationship, but I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what to ask. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that there were alternative treatments. It took me years to figure out that I could be doing 
acupuncture and stretching and yoga and meditation and so many other things for pain management. So that leads me to this question. When you met with your primary care doctor, did he talk to you about the emotional aspects of your physical ailment? Did he say, okay, you're dealing with this chronic pain. How are you feeling emotionally and mentally? And do you need to maybe see a therapist to help you cope? Was that even part of the conversation? No, and boy, do I wish it was. This year, I've been doing executive coaching, and she happens to be a chronic behavioral coach for people with neurological and long-term chronic pain. So we got connected and she was saying, you know, everything that you were dealing with emotionally and all the reactions that you had. And I was like, I didn't realize I should have been talking to someone about that from the beginning, because all of my decisions and choices and how I live my life, like my friendships and how I self-protected and I lived in a little bubble because I was afraid I would have pain triggers and dealing with the daily fear of pain of, can I go outside today? Is the heat going to be a trigger? Is the cold going to be a trigger? Are there going to be fireworks? Is that going to be a noise trigger? Was so self-limiting. No one talked to me about that until 2010 when I found a holistic practitioner Mm -hmm. and she actually gave me a book on dealing with emotions and chronic pain. And then it was this aha, wow, I really need to work on emotional and mental self-care because I've been not doing that for such a long time. I think it's really common, unfortunately. I know as far as being a therapist, part of our assessment is we want to rule out if there's an underlying medical issue, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes it coexists. Right. If you're having mental health issues, it could show up in physical pain and ailments. When you go see your doctor, they rarely look at that mental health piece of it. They're only treating the physical and not the emotional. So I think there's needs to be more done in that area for sure. Yeah. And I realize that, like you said, mental health is physical health. And if you don't heal your mental health, it's going to come out in your body in so many different ways. Your body's going to speak to you. Yes. Yeah. It's going to let you know something's not quite right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Tara, did you ever question your sanity? Because I know you talked about the excruciating pain when you go to the doctor and they say, what's your pain level? Are you one to 10 to rate it? Were there times where you were at 10 and you questioned your sanity? Did you look forward to going to the doctor in hopes like, okay, this time they're going to be able to tell me something or did it give you anxiety? I think I I tried to remain hopeful, I should say, because I felt like there had to be a breakthrough. And that was a mindset shift for me. This whole situation was a a long-term mental game of perseverance and being willing to being open-minded and questioning. So it didn't give me anxiety to go to my, my practitioner. But like I said earlier, I didn't know what I didn't know. And if I would have known... I would have seen multiple doctors and I would have also moved a lot quicker into holistic, going to a holistic MD. I didn't go to a holistic MD until 2019. So, wow. So being hopeful, was that part of, we're going to circle back to your faith. Was that part of, because you were relying on your faith to help you deal with your illness? I think it's the only way I got through it besides support from my family and friends and from my kids. 
knowing the end game is that really God wants to prosper me and care for me is really, that, that's really what I clung to. I laid in bed sometimes and just cried and cried and cried and prayed. And mm-hmm. when I cried and prayed, it was just always praying for healing, like persistent prayer for healing and belief that that could still happen even after 10 years. Mm-hmm. Even after 15 years, not giving up on that prayer, but also ending my prayer with, I trust in your plan for my life. No matter what mm-hmm. happens, even if I'm not healed, it's okay. That's a wonderful testimony, yeah, Tara. That's good. It, really is. Okay. it really is. So what was the hardest part of your illness? Oh, my family, seeing how it impacted my family and my kids. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That still gives me a big lump like right here because I missed out on a lot of their lives with all that I couldn't do. A lot of things that I couldn't do, like my son played sports. I couldn't be outdoors during certain weather. That was pain triggers. I couldn't go get a Christmas tree with the family because I couldn't be outside in winter. So it Mm -hmm. was definitely the impact of that. And my husband, thank goodness we're still together after all of these years, (laughs) but Seeing all the work that he had to do as my caregiver Mm -hmm. and that many people didn't see what he was doing as my caregiver and all of the things that he did behind the scenes to help me. I think that was definitely the hardest part. And also what I realize now is I was really self-limiting in my career Mm. because the last four years of my career has skyrocketed as soon Mm -hmm. as I got healthy and was willing to take risks. It was like, oh, I I can do this. <laughs> I can allow myself to do this because I was doing a lot of self-limiting behaviors because I was self-protecting. I didn't want to have stress, which caused pain. Now, I know many of us have gone through different things, whether it's illness or things happen in life, but in any of those really bad moments where your pain was really bad. And I know you talk about your faith, but we're all human. Did you ever consider giving up? Because sometimes I've read that patients with chronic illness, they just want the pain to end. Not right. saying that they want to end their life, but right. they, they want just the pain want to the end. pain to end. Mm-hmm. So did yeah. you ever consider giving up? It feels very hopeless when you're in that situation. And there was definitely a turning point where I went to Philly to a support group. So this was fast forwarding to 2010 when I was starting to really tune into that there were alternates for me, that there were other treatments for me. But I went to this group in Philly that was all well intended, right? It was a support group. And I went in and I think it was the University of Penn and everybody was so sick. Everybody was so sick. They were on disability. Some of them couldn't walk. Some of them had so much pain that they were just sitting there crying in the support. Mm. And I looked at that group and I thought, this cannot be my future. Mm -hmm. Cannot be my future. And my husband picked me up. I got to the car and he was like, how was that? I was like, well, I'm never going back to <laughs> um, because it was so depressing. I, it, was, right. it was at that time in 2010, I thought I was going to go out on disability. I didn't think I'd be able to work. Things were looking really hopeless then. 
But I had this determination in me where I was like, not today, sir. <laughs> yeah. This is not what my future looks like. And I think that is all about mindset. And it's really hard to have that mindset shift when you're in the middle of pain to be able to say, I can move beyond this pain. That was really hard. But yes, I had so many hopeless nights, crying nights. I really want this to end. But like my family, I would have never ended it because of my family and my kids. But there were certainly Mm -hmm. times where it was like in my prayer, God, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Mm -hmm. And did you ever question why me? This isn't fair. I'm a good person. Believe in God. I'm a good wife, a good mother. Why me? Oh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't lament like that, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Why me? Why for so long? God, have you forsaken me? Are you not listening? And that is that flip back and forth between having faith, lamenting out loud and then shifting over to, but it's okay, God, because you've got me. It's it's okay. I'm I'm okay. No matter Mm -hmm. what happens. I wanted to circle back to your family. Did you have a conversation, I, I'm sure, with your husband about what was going on? He knew your your medical issues. As far as your children, I'm not quite sure how old they were when you found out that this was going on with you. What was that conversation like? Was it full disclosure or did you and your husband decided we're only going to share a certain amount of information with, with kids? I think it was very scary for them. And we limited for sure. I don't think they knew how sick I was, especially my son who was younger. He was born in 99 and I got this in 2001. So he, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Wow. he was pretty young and, and my daughter was probably seven or eight. So, and then they mm-hmm. lived with that throughout their whole, basically their whole childhood. It was very difficult to navigate what to tell them and what not to, because I just wanted them to see me as a normal mom. Right. You know? And I think they didn't really truly realize it until their teen years, high school, really what was going on. Because at that point, when I was really sick, my son was in high school and he was driving me around to get my medication. And by that point, we had a lot of conversations. But when they were younger, mm. we, partic- we definitely participated. Did you hide your illness from family and friends? Your kids were young and your husband, of course, knew. But sometimes we try to shelter friends, people that are outside of the home and co-workers kind of shelter them from what's really going on. So did you do that or were you kind of open to telling people? I was pretty open, but I also had to have a level of trust with people. I wanted to be open. I've always been open with everything, you know, a lot of things from my childhood and just very transparent because I'm always hoping that talking is helping, talking to other people is helping, but it would have to be with a trusted group. And Mm -hmm. I definitely limited my friendships. If I'm with you and we're at the mall and I have an attack and we need to go home, I need to trust you that you understand. And you're going to take care of me. Mm. That was going to lead me to the next question. Did most people believe 
that you had this chronic illness and what was their reaction? Because sometimes when you tell people things, they're like, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, she's not in that much pain. She's okay. What was their initial reaction? I think unless people saw me have an attack, it was really hard to understand because I was very functional, right? Yes. I was outside functioning. And I remember Raquel even missing Thanksgiving at mom and dad's house one time because I was so sick and I had to be home. And I thought, not that our family would be judging me because I love our family, right? But our family would be like, is Tara really sick? Or why isn't she here? But when that happened and people were with me and they saw just what happened to my face would sink and you would know that I wasn't feeling well, then people would understand. But because I was so functioning and I kept my job and I did all the things and I went back to school and I, I, I don't know that everybody saw the real effect except for people that were truly close to me. Yeah, I, I think mm-hmm. that's the hard part because if you have a disability and people can see it, then they have more empathy. Yeah. I suffer from migraines. When, for years, I had small children And I still had to get up and drive them to school and make dinner and lunches and function. So people didn't realize how debilitating it was for me. And sometimes you got questions like, are you really sick? It's not real. But the pain is real. I'm not comparing my pain to yours by all means. But I understand that because they see you as a functioning person. So sometimes there is that judgment without meaning to put judgment on you. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you look normal. Right. In quotes, you look normal. Until they actually see the impact of it. But your family can see the day-to-day of that. They witnessed that. So they knew it was real. And I, you know, I trusted family that we would go on vacation with. And, you know, they would know or see me with an ice pack. And I trusted them. But Regina, to the point of work, I really self-protected at work because I didn't want my leader my team to think that my illness was going to impact my performance because I'm a high performer. Mm, Yeah. So I had to go in and develop deep trust with my leader or whoever I was working with before I would even tell them because I was like, I don't want people to limit my job assignments with what they give Mm -hmm. me because I actually feel like that that would happen because people are kind and they would try not to put so much on, on a person. So yeah, it took me a long time to tell people at work. Well, I definitely commend you because honestly, while you were talking, I I was not thinking that you were active. I was really thinking all she could do is lay in the bed ju- and just be in pain. So, wow. Yeah, it definitely varied and fluctuated. It was the unpredictability that was very hard. I never knew when a pain attack was mm. going to come. So I could be doing anything and a trigger could happen and then everything would stop. So. Mm. So yeah, you do need to have trusting and loving people around you. Your husband, you said was in a caretaker role. How did that impact your marital relationship in any way? Mm, Good question. Well, I think it definitely got us stronger. I have nothing but respect for how he put everything aside to prioritize my health. And even the past few years financially, I went all in to get healed and really figure out the root causes of my health. And holistic wellness is really expensive. Mm-hmm. The way we even prioritize my care and our finances 
I definitely, I, I don't think that we felt a strain in our marriage at all, but I'm sure we were both exhausted looking back on it and just looking for hope together mm-hmm. for sure. I think it definitely improved both of our faith, our mm-hmm. faith relationship together as we lived our marriage, like centered on faith mm-hmm. was really important. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this about uh, your husband. Okay. My brother-in-law, some people would run away from dealing with someone mm-hmm. with a chronic illness, Yeah, but he just seemed like he was family focused. I'm going to take care of you. I've always seen him as very loving towards you, very protective, understanding, trustworthy. So like I said, in the beginning, you chose well, you, you picked a really good partner, <laughs> and, <laughs> but, but you're a loving person too. So it's kind of like, it was easy for him to, to do that for you because he knew that you were about family and faith. So I think you guys working together as a, you know, as a team is the epitome of what relationships are about. So yeah. I do commend that. I, I witnessed it. It was nice to see. Very nice to see. Very nice to see. Yeah. I mean, from our very first date when I was 17, I came out with a whole bunch of family trauma to him and he did not run away. (laughs) (laughs) That's when you know you got a good one. (laughs) Yes. He's like, okay. (laughs) Okay. We do joke that, you know, he he said, if I would have done a questionnaire about your family tree, maybe perhaps I would have (laughs) Tara, was there a time where you lost faith in doctors? You know, I did I didn't lose faith in doctors. My perspective changed once I made it to holistic. Once I moved over to a holistic MD, my perspective changed mm-hmm. on our medical system, how we're focused on a lot of quick fixes, how we're mm-hmm. focused on not yeah. long-term wellness and healing solution, how we're treating symptom after symptom, and we're not linking symptoms together to get to root cause. So I didn't lose hope in doctors. I believe in medicine. I needed medication during that time. It was so important to me, but I didn't realize how much, like I said, food, exercise, prayer, meditation could also be a healer in my journey. And that's mm-hmm. where I got a little angry that nobody talked to me about the whole picture of my health. Like you said, Raquel, nobody talked to me about my mental health. Nobody talked to me about incorporating spirituality or the whole holistic picture. Nobody mm-hmm. said exercise is going to be a great stress reliever. Mm-hmm. It's going to help yep. with your trigeminal neuralgia because it's going to help you fluctuate your nervous system. So, Yeah. Fibromyalgia, is that something that's similar to how you were diagnosed originally? So I was diagnosed with trigeminal neuralgia is the pain all over your body. And trigeminal neuralgia is the pain just in your trigeminal nerves in your face. In the face. Okay. Mm, Okay. Okay. So that was the only diagnosis you ever had was just that one only, that one diagnosis. Wow. Okay. Wow. Wow. And it was so... so Believable. I mean, the symptoms were so believable. I didn't even know that what we'll get to later. I didn't even know that Lyme disease could mimic other illnesses. You didn't even know the question that there could be something else causing. No, I did not. And I was so sick and so busy. If I could give advice to people that are listening, it's to slow down and question. 
slow down and down push question. a lot of questions and then seek second opinions because mm-hmm. that impacted 18 years of my life that I could have gotten back if I would have known. Mm. If I would have had That's a, a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you just mentioned what your illness was. Your chronic illness was Lyme disease. So how do you think that that was missed? Was it at that time you didn't hear a lot about Lyme disease? How do you think it was missed? Lyme disease is so polarizing. You either believe in it or you don't. And there's actually a whole bunch of doctors that Mm. don't believe in Lyme. And then you have all the Lyme literate doctors who are very well aware of the symptoms and of the treatment. So it was not even talked about. I think it's happening much more now that if you go to your primary care, it's on a checklist of a conversation that people are having. I think back then we weren't really talking Mm -hmm. about it as much and didn't know as much about how it impacted our bodies in so many different ways. And I certainly didn't know anything about it. I was tested though through my primary care for Lyme disease and it came back negative. Oh, all those okay. years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. I was going to, that was my question. So how was it discovered that you have Lyme disease? How did you discover that? I finally got to the right doctor, what's called a Lyme literate doctor. And that doctor knew what tests to run. There are multiple tests to run for Lyme disease, mm. more than a standard test. Okay. So, okay. you know, you go to your okay. primary care, you get a whole bunch of standard tests that they're going to run, right? All the standard blood tests. But if right. you go to a Lyme literate doctor, they're going to run multiple tests, co-infection tests, and they're going to work and see like, what did that do to your body? What damage did Lyme do to my body? Which it did. It took me three years to recover from all the damage that Lyme did to my mm. body. Wow. Because I didn't know I had it. <laughs> you didn't know you had it. Yeah. It's called a Lyme literate doctor. Am I saying that correctly? Okay, so you do the blood work and it comes back positive. Are you relieved? Is it like, aha, this is it? Or were you perplexed, mad, angry? What were you feeling? Well, it was really interesting because, so I ended up with a Lyme literate doctor because I went to a holistic MD. So I finally got to someone who sat with me for an hour, listened to all my symptoms, just listened. And thought, you know, how am I going to put all these puzzle pieces together into some kind of treatment and testing and what's going on with her body? So just one of the many tests that we did was Lyme. And she partners with a Lyme literate doctor in her practice. So when the test came back positive for Lyme, I moved over to this Lyme literate doctor. And I'm not going to say I I was relieved because I had no idea that my neurological symptoms were Lyme. I just thought Mm. what happened in 2018, 2019 was I was very active. I had just become a fitness instructor. I was actually like living my best Mm. life at that time. I still had trigeminal neuralgia, what they call trigeminal neuralgia and symptoms, but it was controlled because I had made a shift a couple years back to managing my stress, managing my sleep eating for chronic inflammation, learning how to get my inflammation under control. So I had done a whole bunch of things to level out my body. But in 2018, 2019, 
I started getting muscle spasms and pain all over my body and my neuralgia Mm -hmm. came back and it came back with a vengeance. And I was like, why am I having, why am I riddled with pain? Why I had my neuralgia leveled out? Why is my neuralgia back? I couldn't be a fitness instructor anymore. I couldn't exercise. My body just betrayed me during Mm -hmm. that time. My muscles were constantly spasming. Everything hurt. My joints hurt. My body hurt. That's how I ended up with the holistic MD because I was like, there's something really wrong. Something has shifted in my body and I don't know what happened. So, but I didn't know that Lyme could cause all of these things. I had no idea that Lyme could cause pain and and muscle spasms and headaches and be misdiagnosed as so many things like multiple sclerosis and fibromyalgia mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all these serious illnesses that Lyme mimics and people aren't getting the proper treatment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, Tara, are you, I know you talk a lot about your faith. Are you grateful for this journey? Mm-hmm. I'm sad for what I lost definitely for what I missed out on. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for the journey because it taught me endurance. And if there's ever a time that you go through that you can't say like, God intentionally wanted me to draw closer to him during that time. If that's the perspective I have to look at for this whole period, otherwise I'd be sad at what I missed out on. And how long it took to find healing. So while I can't say I'm grateful for it, I, I'm trying to just take it as a learner, like mm-hmm. take it mm-hmm. as a learner of what have I learned and how can I share that with others? That's why I try so much to talk about Lyme disease, chronic illness, holistic health, because I feel like there's a lot of people out there suffering right now that they have all these pain symptoms. Yeah. They don't know what to do with them or they're just hurting in general and they don't know where to go. So that's why I'm here. I I do feel like if I had to go through it, I'm going to try to help other people through it. Now, Tara, did you have to walk? You talk about the muscle spasms and the pain. Did you have to have any assistance, like a cane or a walker to help balance? Or did you have to hold on to your husband? What did you have to do? I was just extremely fatigued. So I just stopped doing any kind of physical exercise. When I restarted my exercise regimen, which was over a two-year period after getting diagnosed with Lyme, I started at mm-hmm. like slow, I call it slow turtle walking. Started out and just okay. a little <laughs> walking because they call it flare-up. And if you move too much during that time that you're healing, you can get flare-up, you can get pains. And that's the whole mental mm. health aspect, Raquel, is if I would have known, it was very hard to push myself at first because I was fearful of relapse. I was fearful of mm-hmm. triggers. Even now that I'm healed and I believe that I'm healed, like I really believe that I'm healed. I am, if I'm doing strength training, I'm still thinking about 
could I hurt myself or will my muscles spasm or Mm -hmm. I need people to push me a little bit and push my thinking. So I have to surround myself with people who will help me see that. No more self-limiting. And that, that brings me to my question. How do you operate from a new normal now that you have a diagnosis and you know what it is? How do you shift your mind to say, this is what it is. And like you said, this is what I can do, what I can't do. Have you had conversations with yourself? How are you navigating your new normal? Mm. You know, it's just constantly focusing on what I can do and not what I can't. And like I said, that's an endurance game, right? That's a perseverance game. And it's a constant because I don't want to focus on what I can and what my limits are. And I want to think about my new normal has so much potential. So mm-hmm. it's all about how I'm looking at my situation, but it's a constant, like having the right books to read, having the right podcast to listen to, having the right friends to surround me and always having positive messaging because that way I'm just constantly focused on the good instead of, oh my gosh, I'm back to walking at turtle mode again. <laughs> you know, oh my right. gosh, I used to be a fitness instructor and now I can't even, you know, I can't even move my body and now I have to start all over again. I'm sure fear and anxiety could be prevalent because fearful is it's going to return mm-hmm. and which can lead to anxiety. Right. So and then if I have an ache or pain, is that a flare up? So how do you quiet that? I, I think you talked a little about about reading books. Are you journaling? How do you quiet those fears so that things don't become anxiety driven? Oh, they can be anxiety driven for sure. And they can be (laughs) panic attack driven for sure. And I wear this ring and it says faith over fear. So I have a lot of things that are grounding me, ground me, whether it's words on my wall. I have a whole aspirations wall. I have a vision board. So words are important to me. Like I said, podcasts are important to me. Church, Bible study, just keeping myself focused. but. The anxiety is real. I talked to a counselor this past year. It started out as executive coaching. And like I said, I found out she was chronic behavioral therapist. And I was like, oh, I want to move from executive coaching. Mm, right. Talking about. <laughs> right, right. Let me dive into this past year because I didn't realize that I needed cognitive behavior therapy. I didn't realize that rethinking mm. my thoughts was going to be yes. so powerful. Journaling, writing that down, stopping the thoughts in the middle of the thoughts. Mm -hmm. So just learning all those techniques. I wish I had learned those sooner and leaned into, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know that that was available to me. Mm -hmm. And also structured worry time. Because I think when you have an illness, it's hard to not, for some people not to think about it constantly. So if you give yourself permission to worry about it, but only for a little bit of time. And then you move on instead of saying, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. We worry about things we care about and you're healthy, care about. So it's okay to have some worry, but you got to make sure that you keep it in balance so that the anxiety and the panic attacks don't take over. I love that structured worry time. Yeah. Yes. Like we all need that good cry and then it's okay. Yes. (laughs) Right. Give yourself permission to to do that because it's human, right? Give yourself permission to have that, but don't allow it to like that woe is me. 
and this worry and it takes over everything and then you're not getting anything done. But I do right, you're not you're not living a life. Yeah, not living a life you deserve. I think, like you said, allowing yourself to feel and to to feel sad or to go through. It's definitely a grief cycle when you're dealing with chronic it illness. Is. It's a cycle of loss. You know what you lost in your own physical body. It's a cycle of what you're losing with your family and friends or friends. things that you're losing out on in life. So going through that mourning and then just trying to shift that to gratitude. It's hard to live in both of those spaces at the same time, seeing that it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to feel sad and it's okay to feel feel fearful if you don't live in that. In fear, right. If you don't exactly. live in that, but you can let those feelings surface, feel those feelings and then just try to shift to gratitude is what I try to do. Yes, that's good stuff. Very good. Very good. So, can you share with us about Lyme disease? Now, I myself just heard of Lyme disease a couple of years ago because I work inside of a private studio. One of the stylists, she was diagnosed with Lyme disease. She was talking about all these symptoms she was having, like being fatigued and all of this. And I was like, what is that? So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about Lyme disease? Is anybody susceptible to getting Lyme disease or? And also treatment. Yeah, treatment. If you want to talk yeah. a little bit more about treatment as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lyme disease, I learned more than I wanted to about it for sure. <laughs> uh, it's transmitted mostly through tick bite and also come through mosquito bite, but mostly through tick bite. But the tick mm. bite and release. So I didn't have a sign of a tick bite. I didn't have any of the rash or the telltale symptoms of Lyme disease. So that's why it just went mm-hmm. on and on as undiagnosed. But it comes through in so many different ways. It comes through in neurological ways, headaches, facial palsy, memory issues. It comes through muscular, muscle spasms, joint pain memory, brain fog, issues with mobility. So you can see how that can be confused with so many different things. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and it also can lie dormant in your body. So there's these little lime, they call them spirocytes, and they can dig into your cells and they can live in there and go dormant. And then something can mm. make them come to life like a virus, like COVID in your body could release the Lyme spirocyte, a stress trigger, a life, a a stressful life event could make them come to life out of dormancy. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if that's something that happened to me. I don't know how long, I really don't know how long I had Lyme disease in my body Mm -hmm. really when it came out, except for, I just can't tell from diagnosis to how long I was sick. Um, So it presents in so many different ways. And just seeing people that have been misdiagnosed with big illnesses, just by following the LymeDisease.org site, seeing people that had thought they had muscular dystrophy or, or multiple sclerosis, and, and it was really Lyme disease, seeing people that were in wheelchairs or using canes and then got treatment and totally changed their lives. So treatment was really interesting because I had Lyme disease and what they call co-infections. So other little infections in my body. So 
if you have it and you have a light version, you just get one antibiotic and then usually you're good to go. So if you can catch it early, so mm-hmm. if you start to have headaches or body aches and you really don't know where those are coming from, go and ask your doctor to get you to a Lyme literate doctor <laughs> so that okay. you can get multiple tests for Lyme disease, not just the one that they're going to order in a primary care um, clinic. But I ended up having four antibiotics at one time. So it was a really intense treatment. And then from there, we worked holistically on supplementation because my body was so depleted. My cells were so depleted. Mm. My gut was depleted. Everything was falling apart. So then we spent three years rebuilding my body through supplementation. So I did the antibiotics for maximum of six months, which, you know, they're hard on your body. <laughs> wow. Very hard on the body. So, and it shows up differently for different people. So some people have all the symptoms that you mentioned, or they may have one or two symptoms, correct? Yeah, it shows up so differently. It can be just something as simple as headaches or brain fog or having some memory issues or Mm -hmm. something more severe if you've had it for a while and you don't know. They call that chronic long-term Lyme disease if you don't know that you've had it for such a long period of time. And that's what I would say I had. So is there a cure or is it just treatment, maintenance? It's treatment and maintenance. I think I would consider myself cured, except for the fact that something might re-trigger Lyme. That's what you have to be careful about. You think you got all the Lyme spirocytes out of your body, but you're not sure. So COVID was really precarious for me because I was very aware that that could cause a flare. Not only COVID, but the COVID vaccine could cause a flare as well. So Mm. when I got COVID, I was sick for a full six months back with Lyme disease symptoms. Okay. Very similar Lyme disease symptoms. Yeah. But we won't go to the COVID. I don't know enough about that. (laughs) But I think you can heal from it. But I know people that have long-term flair. I just, I'm just going to choose to believe that I'm healed. From That's life. right. You're healed. I believe that too. <laughs> as far as getting checkups, you have to get checkups regularly. Or how, how are you managing this illness? As far I as- still see my holistic MD. So I'm down to once a year. I was meeting with them for once a month during my whole treatment phase. And now I'm just down to once a year maintenance based on how I'm feeling, what my symptoms are, just to check in to see if there's anything weird or unusual or anything flaring up. Just being really careful about my muscle health and my joint health. And if I'm not feeling well, just talking to my holistic primary care about it. So I consider myself released at this point and we're just checking in which is great that is great that's good that's great so we have a couple more questions before we let you go but as far as lessons you've learned what are some of the lessons you've learned throughout your journey that nobody's going to advocate for you like you are i think that Mm. if if i could share anything with anybody listening is really have to take your health into your own hands like it's your full-time job and 
that's not easy because we all have full-time jobs and families and, and everything else. But nobody's going to advocate for our health like we are. And nobody's going to be able to be in tune with our bodies mm. like we are. Back when I was really going through it and I was in a lot of pain, I had a massage therapist and she was also a very spiritual massage therapist, which I really appreciated. And she laid her hands on me and said, just ask your body what it needs just every day. Just Mm. be really still and intuitive Mm. to asking your body what it needs. And we have so much noise in our lives. We have so much going on that it's really hard to be still and it's really hard to tune into those little teeny things, those little nagging. We have intuition about our bodies. We have intuition about our health and about what our body needs, but we're so inundated with noise and busyness and overwhelm that we're not really pausing. But I think we don't listen. We don't listen because we yeah. also we don't mm-hmm. want to because that would be denial, right? We <laughs> we, don't, we might not want to. Right. Yeah. And, and fear. You talk about fear. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to know if something's wrong with us. Push it aside yeah. and avoid. We have to deal with it. For sure. <laughs> so, you know, really listen to your body, get second opinions and master your mindset, like master the mindset. I was sad and, and angry and felt isolated and lonely. And I was like, I have to switch this over to constant questioning and curiosity and that was my mantra. I'm turning fear into curiosity. And I have mantras everywhere in my office. Being able to shift that gear from why is this happening to me to why is this happening to me? You know, it's not as easy right, as that. Right, right. I like that. Yeah. I like that. It's not as easy as that, but it is doable. It's doable. And, and also be willing mm-hmm. to ask for help to your family and to your friends. Know that you're not doing this alone. I think a burden. I think, yeah, no, they're not a burden. I think that people just want to power through, right? We want to be strong women or, and we don't want to ask for help. And I think just being transparent with our family and friends and our supportive partner, whoever that is in your life, this is what I need. Back to advocacy, being willing to speak up for your Mm -hmm. needs, Mm -hmm. being willing to say yes Mm -hmm. to certain things and no to certain things. That's definitely a life lesson because sometimes I took on too much. I wasn't willing to say no. And sometimes I limited with fear and I wasn't willing to say yes. So knowing that balance of when to say yes and when to say yes. Those are gems. Those are very good information. Because as women, we do have a tendency to not know when to say no. <laughs> We're super women. Yeah. We have to do every in everything. All right? the taskers, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. This collective mm-hmm. no, as I get older, that's a gem. Like being willing to say no and know that people aren't going to reject you for it. That's all the things right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. People mm-hmm. are still going to like you if you say no. It's okay. And if they don't, then they're it's not still okay. <laughs> they're not your people. I agree. Yeah. I just really want to thank you for being so transparent, just your honesty, because that's a long time to be in pain with no answer. And what really stuck out about your journey for me was your faith, because I think that is what will get 
you know, anybody dealing with a chronic illness or anything difficult in life, it all comes back to your faith. And that's the only way that you're going to get through. If you had looked at just your physical, your mind would have told you, this is never going to end because year after year after year, it did not end. But your faith is what got you through. And that's how you got your healing. So faith and having a really good support system. It sounds like you had a good support system, people you could trust and rely on. I think uh, that's important, too. Yeah, definitely. Hopefulness. I mean, there's so much hope. So the question I want to ask is the Tara from 2001. That Tara compared to who you are now, how is it different? Who is the Tara sitting in front of us today? I have something called my RX for wellness, my my own prescription for wellness. So my own prescription for wellness is having my body every day, eating to heal my body with food, making sure I have prayer time, making sure I have quiet time, making sure I'm doing something creative and fun. So I'm a much better person now. And of course, that comes with age and wisdom too. But it also comes with (laughs) learning how to care for myself and know that self-care isn't selfish. It's really necessary. It's really necessary. This is what we need to be filling our vessels so that we can fill other people's vessels as well. Because we are caregivers. And we're always putting ourselves yes. last and we're too busy to care for ourselves. This Tara has a gratitude and appreciation for her physical body, for my own mental health and fortitude, and for the future. Mm-hmm. Limitless potential, I feel like. Mm-hmm. The sky's the limit mm-hmm. now. I'm feeling super optimistic. My career is taking off and... Now I'm empty nester. I have time to do all the things and all the fun things. I have a coworker in his 70s that says the best is yet to come. And I love that he's saying yes. that. <laughs> so I feel the same way. I feel grateful for the years of perspective and how I've learned to nurture and nourish myself for sure. Mm-hmm. And setting boundaries, I think, is very important. As women, we don't always do that. But it sounds like you're setting boundaries for yourself, not just your physical, but your emotional, mental, and your spiritual. And it is a holistic approach when you're talking about the mind and body. It's important that we take care of all aspects of ourselves, not just one piece of it. It, wor- it all works together. All of it works together. Yeah. You know, so. all it works together. And I don't think we necessarily realize that or slow down to think about that. what we're putting in our body relates to how we're feeling and who we're surrounding ourselves with. I mean, it's the whole picture of our self-care that's important. So mm-hmm. I'm grateful important. for that. So grateful. <laughs> we're, we're happy that you came. It was yeah. important for us for you to tell your story because I, I think it covers so many aspects of just not only personal triumph, but perseverance, faith. It speaks to how resilient you were. You're an example of what it means to not give up on yourself. And despite your circumstance, I'm still going to exist in this world and make the best of my life regardless. That's a beautiful message that listeners need to know. No matter what circumstances you're in, you get to choose your happy. How are you going to show up? You're doing that. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Thank you. You get to choose. You have a choice and 
Yeah. Nobody's going to bet on you but you. So. That's right. That's Nobody right. Bet on That's yourself. right. As far as any Lyme disease websites, would you like to share any of that information to our listeners? Any resources you think are good for them to know about? I think probably mostly LymeDisease.org. Hopefully I'm getting that right. Would be the primary, most valid. I know you're a wonderful writer. (laughs) I don't think you know that about Tara. She's a wonderful writer. Do you want to do any personal plugs? Personal plugs? Sure. I haven't written in a while, but there's a lot in there. It's called Chewing the Fat on Skinny. And that's my blog. And I wrote about my holistic healing and what I was going through. I haven't updated. I really need to get in there and do an update. But there's a lot in there about my faith, about perseverance. I started it in 2011 when I went on a weight loss journey. So really, the whole intention there was just to start tracking my weight loss and wellness journey, but throughout the years, it really turned into, you know, self-care and faith. And there's all things in there. There's menopause in there. There's mental health in there. It's just, you know, you see your progression as you're writing. You're like, oh, here's what I'm passionate about. It's called Chewing the Fat on Skinny. We're going to let our listeners know more about Lyme disease. We're going to put something on our page. It's very important to ask questions when you see your doctor. Don't be afraid if you have to take somebody in there with you to be an advocate. If you're not able to speak up for yourself, that's okay to do that as well. But uh, you deserve answers. Just be persistent. I don't want that to sound cheesy in any way. Be persistent and faithful and believe in a hopeful future Mm. for yourself, no matter what you're going through. If you believe... I'll put my faith in there. If you believe that God is prospering you, like that's the best message we can have about our future. I couldn't say Excellent that message. That's I wonderful. Totally Excellent. Yes. I love that message. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Do you have a question or a comment? Do you have a great story? Want to share something exciting? Is there a topic you want us to discuss? Email us at rnrexperience1 at gmail.com. That's rnrexperience1 at gmail.com. The letter R, A-N-D, the letter R, experience, the number one at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. You can listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.